Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. I am going to talk about something that I get asked a lot and I hear a lot of people talking about, and that is is whether or not being married to a therapist is a good thing or a bad thing. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because patron Jessamy wrote in and she said, hey, Kirk, what is it like for non-therapists to be, to be married to family therapists? Are therapists more annoying or are they more amazing? What are some of the silly things that therapists may tend to do in romantic relationships? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about today. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. This is a great question. Uh, the common things that I hear in public are you, you never want to marry a therapist because they'll always be analyzing you. Or another thing you hear a lot of people say is, well, therapists, you know, they're crazier than non-therapists are, so you never want to marry a therapist. But you also hear people say on the other end of the spectrum, they'll say, well, you know, therapists are super healthy, so their marriages are probably perfect, right? Both of these uh, points of view are in error. Uh, I'll get into more of that in a second. Here's what I hear from actual therapists uh, who are in couples, and, and they'll say things like, look, I don't want to work when I'm at home. So I go to work and I I, I'm very functional and I'm, I talk about functional relationships and I try to help people. But when I go home, I don't want to have to do all that stuff anymore. So I'm, I'm just a normal person when I'm at home. Well, here's what I say. Number one, what the F does analyzing mean? I have no idea what this term means. I might have known what it meant back before I was a therapist when I was part of the regular culture, but I hear this a lot people will learn that I'm a therapist and they'll say, ooh, are you analyzing me? And for this reason, I sometimes don't tell people I'm a th when I'm at a dinner party and I don't know a bunch of people and I'm never going to talk to them again and they ask me what I do for a living, sometimes I just say I work for Microsoft because no one wants to hear about my job when, when I say that. And so I avoid all that paranoia about me, quote unquote, analyzing people. I really just don't know what that means, analyzing. I'm guessing it means scrutinizing or judging or something, but, uh, you know, therapists are trained to not do that. I don't do that. I don't, I've, I, I never scrutinize clients or at least I try not to. It's not my habit. And judgmentalism is something I got rid of for the most part a long time ago. Some of you might be surprised about that. I let a, a lot of my judgmental attitudes on the podcast. It's, it's my little soapbox for judging, but but I don't judge just people for being normal. You know, if, if you have just regular everyday human foibles, I, I, I am very much aware that we all have those, including myself. So I, I don't know what analyzing exactly means in that way. It, I, I imagine that some people might wonder if I can see into their soul or something and know what they're really thinking and I'm here to tell you that therapists don't have any greater ability to read people's minds than anybody else does, because no one can read someone's minds. But uh, contrary to all the NLP BS that's on the internet, you no one can read someone's mind. So therapists might be a little better at detecting things, but uh, I, I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> um, number two, 
therapists are just as varied as non-therapists. This is the, the main point that I want to get across here is that therapists are so varied. They, they come in all shapes and sizes. Some are wise and some are not wise. Some are mature and some are really not mature. Some are super compassionate people and some are not. And some non-therapists are super compassionate and some are not. Some therapists are really, really good listeners. And some therapists just are not. Frankly, they're just not good listeners. They're not good listeners with their clients and they're not good listeners with people outside of their office. Some therapists are really functional in their relationships and some are definitely not functional in their relationships. Therapists are people, there's no, there's no test for how functional your relationships are to become a licensed clinician. So anyone can become a clinician as long as they go through the requisite education and supervision and training experiences. And having a, a train wreck of a life doesn't preclude you from getting that education. Uh, other things will preclude you like class or money or access or time or that kind of thing. But, but the fact that your life is a general train wreck and you're an immature person who is really terrible to other human beings, that doesn't, that doesn't preclude you from being a therapist. So, so that's, so that's really the main thing I want to get across is that therapists are human and they're uh, the bell curve of functional relationships is probably I'd, almost identical to the bell curve in the in the general population. Number 3, training and working as a therapist does provide opportunities for personal growth. So there there are some I I say the word opportunities because just because you are given the opportunity doesn't mean you capitalize on it, which I've definitely seen. But being being trained as a therapist can help someone become a little more functional in their relationships, but it really depends on the training and it really depends on the person and it really depends on the relationship. It's, it's hard to tell where I would be if I wasn't a therapist. You know, I've been a therapist for 21 years now, so it's hard to tell where I would be in terms of my personal growth and all that kind of stuff. But I think being a therapist has very likely helped with my personal growth, with my self-awareness, with my compassion, with my understanding of other people, including my relationships. And, and therefore, my relationships are probably better now as a result of me being a therapist. But it's just, it's hard to tell. Uh, I would like to think that I'm more aware of my behavior and my impulses and my issues and my reactivity. I would like to think that because of my job, I'm, I'm more aware of those things. But in general, I, I, I'd like to think I was also fairly aware of those things when I was young relative to my age. So would I have also grown if I wasn't a therapist? It's just, it's just hard to tell. But on the other hand, I know therapy. And so just to stick with that point for a second, I, I absolutely know therapists who have dedicated their entire lives, including their careers, to personal growth and uh, similar to my perception of myself, 
have over time, slowly over time, become probably more healthy human beings and, and therefore better with, with relationships. But I also know therapists who, who seem to barely understand their clients, let alone themselves. So again, it's the bell curve. It's, it's being a therapist does not automatically make you a self-aware, uh, I don't know, perception, percept, percept, uh, Per, uh, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't make it so that you perceive other people accurately. And it doesn't mean that you perceive yourself accurately. It doesn't even mean that you're interested in looking at yourself. I have worked with thousands of trainees and I have seen the whole spectrum. I've seen some trainees who are extremely interested in personal growth. And I've seen trainees who are a hundred billion percent uninterested in personal growth. That might surprise you, but it's, it's really up to the trainee to decide what they do. As long as the trainee is competent as a, as a therapist. And as long as they uh, go through the motions of personal growth, then they can graduate and move on. So they really run the gamut. It's sort of like musicians, you know, if you just think about everyone who plays an instrument, they, they come in all shapes and sizes. Some musicians make it their life mission to become the best in the world. You know, they eat, sleep, live and breathe music. Think of uh, a concert pianist or something. They that's all that they do in life. They live and dream. And since an early age, they've been training and that's all they think about. And they only hang out with musicians and that's all that they do. But other musicians such as myself pick up, I pick up my guitar or other kinds of instruments every, when I feel like it and I'm not very good at any of them. And I, I don't, I barely understand the, the gear over time, although I've gotten better over time. But like when people ask me about guitar picks up pickups and this sort of thing, I'm, I have, I have a very, low understanding of of the electronics in an electric guitar and so uh, i just don't i just don't care about it so i'm a musician and in some ways i'm a professional musician in that i've been paid to to play music in in various phases of my life but how but i but a a a concert pianist would interact with me and say like you're not you're you call yourself a musician but you clearly don't care that much about music. It's just sort of like this secondary thing to you. Both of us are musicians, but we approach it from a different angle. Well, it's the same as being a therapist. Some therapists take it really seriously, and it's their entire life. They're always thinking about it. They're always trying to better themselves. They try to learn as much as they can, and they really try to develop in a personal way throughout their entire lives. It's, it's something that they think about maybe every day, while other therapists don't really care about that much. You know, They get trained, and then they go to work, and they come home, and they just act like it, a normal person, if that makes any sense. They just go to work and do their job. And they're not super interested in becoming a better therapist, and they're not really interested in addressing their own issues. It's the same with non-therapists. You, you have non-therapists who are really interested in personal growth, and you have some non-therapists who really aren't. It's, it's the same thing in the therapy world. I, I know therapists who just consider it like a technical job. They go to work, and they use their techniques and they try their best and then they just go home and, and they don't think about it much. They, they don't, it's not their whole life. So 
That's another thing to think about. Number four, therapists are probably in general better at communication, better with communication and better with taking responsibility and better with recognizing their own emotions and their behaviors in general. You know, all of us are trained to question ourselves and therapists are off, depending on the sort of, that's the other thing you have to think about is the sort of population that, that the therapist works with. Some therapists like myself, all that I do is work with high func- quote unquote high functioning people, people that don't have severe mental illness who are working on self-actualization and they're working on improving their relationships. They have good jobs. They have a stable life. They have a stable family life. They have a home. They have an income. They have support. And they come to me because they're trying to get that final phase in life, that final satisfaction of of being happy and, and having rewarding relationships and having meaning in life. And so so with these people, I I am talking about things that pertain very much to me. As I'm talking to them, I'm I'm thinking about, oh, that's that's probably that's probably that pertains to me. Either I'll say like, oh, I should probably, you know, practice what I preach. I just told someone to do something that I should probably take to heart myself. Or they make discoveries and I think, huh, that actually is a discovery that I could apply to myself. You know, I'm learning from my clients. Well, other clinicians, day in and day out, all they are doing is working with people with schizophrenia. Well, when you're working with schizophrenia, I'm guessing you're not doing a ton of self-factualization. You might be doing some, but my guess is, is you're doing a lot of triage work. You're doing a lot of crisis management, symptom management, social work, and and the like. And so for those people, how if, if you do that for 10 years, and those are the only sort of clients you see, how many opportunities are you given to really reflect your own work onto your, onto your life? Maybe there are opportunities. I'm guessing that there are, but maybe not in the same way. So that's just another thing to, to consider. But, but all of us in general, at least in graduate school, are trained to question ourselves. We're trained to look at our countertransference. Some programs are better than others in terms of that. But like in my program at Antioch University, Seattle, the, I would say a third of the classes are, are pretty heavily focused on the student really looking at themselves. And the student is given a lot of opportunity and a lot of space and a lot of safety to explore their childhood, to explore their bias, to explore their their own issues, their privilege, their the way they've been marginalized, their relational traumas, their family of origin issues, their current life issues. And so all of that training and culture around looking at yourself, in general, I'm guessing probably does help one become a more functional human being with yourself and with other people. And so probably uh, on average therapists, I would just take a guess and say that the bell curve is a little bit more towards the functional side. So in other words, if you're, if you're, if you're about to go on a date and you have two options and both dates are exactly the same, but one happens to be a therapist. My guess is the therapist has a slight edge on the other potential date, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Um, But being a therapist does not erase our relational traumas. We all have relational traumas. 
And being a therapist doesn't erase that. Some people have more relational traumas than other people. I, as a therapist with many colleagues who are therapists, I can tell you that the 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 amount or the the severity or degree of relational traumas, meaning that when you're early, when you're young in life as a child, growing up in your families, how much difficulty did you experience? Well, I'm here to tell you that therapists have the same range of relational traumas as non-therapists do. Some therapists come from very cushy childhoods with relatively few relational traumas, whereas other therapists come from backgrounds of the highest order of relational traumas, sexual incest, ongoing physical abuse, being a refugee from political and war crime genocide sort of stuff. So everyone, therapists have the same variability, but so, and how do you measure the degree of that? That's why it's hard to really know what's happening. You know, when people say, well, you know, therapists are crazier, it's, it's hard to tell because it's a hard thing to measure. But anyway, being a therapist doesn't erase our relational traumas. And being a therapist also doesn't erase our bias or our emotional reactivity. We're just as prone to being as human as anyone else is. And again, some therapists have massive relational traumas that make it really hard for them to navigate relationships, um, just like non-therapists who have significant relational traumas. And some other therapists have lesser relational traumas. So it just, it just depends. Also, therapists have the disadvantage of being considered experts. So therapists sometimes become in love with their own perspective. They become arrogant about their own perspective. And I've seen this. Therapists, friends of mine, and me, incidentally, I'm guilty of this. We, we will have a dysfunction or a distorted reaction to a person in our life, you know, like we're upset about something and it leads us to have a certain conclusion about the other person. Like, how dare they do that to us? And then we will justify our reactions by using our knowledge of psychology. For example, a colleague of mine, he was going through a difficult divorce and he was extremely angry at his ex-wife for hurting him, right? Which is normal for anyone going through divorce. And he became extremely rageful and distorted, in my opinion. And he began fighting for sole custody of his children, even though, in my opinion, the children needed contact with both parents. But he was dead set on eliminating his ex-wife from his life and from his children's life. So he used his knowledge of psychology to justify his, his rage and to justify his legal efforts to separate his ex-wife from his children. You know, this, this sort of thing happens, uh, this doesn't mean that therapists are evil. It just means that therapists are human and they are prone to the same problems that everyone else is prone to. And this doesn't mean that they can't uh, be good people to marry. It just it just means that you can't predict whether or not you're, you know, you're going on a date and the person happens to be a therapist. The fact that they're a therapist isn't a good predictor, in my opinion, as to whether or not this person is going to be a good partner for you. The other thing to, to also think about is that uh, good relationships are largely a function of compatibility. So just because an individual is quote unquote good with relationships doesn't necessarily mean that they're good with you or good with a particular person. 
a lot of, in my experience, what makes a relationship work is your 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 strengths and your weaknesses fitting well together, if that makes any sense. So, for instance, just as an example of this compatibility issue, based on childhood issues, say you have two people. One person is raised in a very distant household and one person is not a very, but a somewhat distant household. And then another person is raised in a in a somewhat dysfunctionally close close uh Household. So we, this is what we call disengaged and enmeshed households. So the say the the guy uh, one person is raised in a in a disengaged relationship. So he uh, grows up to be on the on the avoidant attachment side, where he sort of avoids relationships to protect himself a little bit. But you know, for the most part, he he's pretty good with relationships. And then we'll just make it a a gay relationship. The other guy, guy number two, is raised in this emotionally uh, in, enmeshed relationship uh, childhood where he has learned to be a little preoccupied about his relationships. And but for the most part, he's fairly functional in his life. And but he has a a streak of preoccupation, meaning that he he gets anxious about uh, being close to people and will reach out a lot and maybe accuse the other person of of being a bad partner and that sort of thing. So these two men get together and embark on a relationship. And over time, you see that the two of them will trigger each other. So the the preoccupied person will accuse the distant person of being too distant. And then the distant person is hurt by that and distance more. And that triggers the preoccupied person to accuse more and so on and so on. And so a year down the road, they're, they hate each other and they never want to talk to each other again. Now, this isn't always the case, but just go with me on this example. So then those two people go out and they go on Tinder or OkCupid or whatever, and they, they meet a whole bunch of other people. So the disengaged guy meets up with another somewhat disengaged guy. Well, when you put two disengaged people together... And again, there's research on this and blah, 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 but just kind of kind of go with me on this, is they might actually be more compatible because they don't attack each other when they are feeling insecure. They distance a little bit, and that doesn't trigger the other person because the other person isn't really sensitive to being to being moved away from. They're, they're more sensitive to being invaded. And so they, they both deal with attachment insecurity in the same way. Now, this, is, this only really works when you have just, you know, mild attachment problems. But, uh, and then on the other side, the preoccupied person, you put two mildly preoccupied people together, and they might find more compatibility because they understand each other's triggers and they try to manage that. So again, that's a very crude example. But my point is, is that uh, whether or not someone is a therapist or not does not mean that you can predict whether or not that relationship is good or whether or not that person is good for you. So even though you have a therapist who is really good with relationships and very compassionate and very self-aware, that doesn't mean that they're compatible with you. That's a whole other kind of question. So anyway. Also, another thing to think about is that although our work can be affected by our personal life, we are trained to provide a, a service regardless of what's happening in our personal life. 
So in other words, just because someone is good as a therapist doesn't necessarily mean that they are good in their personal life, you know? Uh, so it, that's just another thing to think about, you know, for, for example, I, I've been a therapist for 21 years, you know, how many difficult life situations do you think I've experienced over the last 21 years? I'm, in anyone's life over two decades, you're going to experience a lot of losses, a lot of difficulties, a lot of, a lot of issues, a lot of professional issues, personal issues. Th- think about in the last 20 years, how many, f- how many fights have you been in with someone in your life? Well, I've gone through all that too. And I rarely take vacations. So I'm often seeing clients in the midst of these difficult moments for me. Sometimes difficult moments will happen minutes before a client arrives in my office. And I put all that aside and I I work with my client. So in other words, the point is, is that even though someone is a therapist, that doesn't necessarily mean they're not suffering a lot and not prone to the same kinds of reactivity that that you would find in someone that you don't want to be with, if that makes any sense anyway. Also, people will say, um, but hey, don't therapists know what to do to make a good marriage work? You know, therapists are experts on relationships, so they should be really good with relationships. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're often trained and experienced to help other people with their relationships, but that knowledge does not negate relational traumas and their ill effects. The, the brain, the, the executive function in the brain is relatively weak in comparison to the so-called primitive parts of the brain, the parts of the brain that govern emotion, fear, and anger, and reactivity, that kind of thing. So when any human is flooded with emotions due to relational traumas, as all of us have to some degree, no one has the ability to see clearly or to act clearly or to be functional in those situations, including therapists. So... Just because a therapist knows how to help or know how, how to, just because a therapist knows how to conceptualize dysfunction or even identify it, doesn't mean that they don't have a limbic system. <laughs> doesn't mean that they don't have emotions that will cloud their judgment because they're just as prone to being clouded as anybody else. All right. Well, let's look at the research. Well, there's not a lot of research in this area, and uh, but there there are some minor studies, but but really it's it's a hard thing to to examine. You know, are are therapists better partners? It's just that's a really hard thing to nail down. So uh, so some have attempted to answer it in a really blunt way, like for instance McCoy and Ad Ahmad Ahmad, uh, twenty ten. They looked at divorce rates for a bunch of occupations in the United States. And they, and they found that on average, people reported that they were divorced. Seven, 17% of people in their study said that they were either separated or divorced. So 17% of these people were like, yep, uh, I'm, I've, I've experienced separation or divorce from my marriage. And that the, they, they tried to figure out which jobs had higher rates of separation and divorce and which jobs had lower rates. The highest jobs were at 43%, you had dancers and choreographers. Dancers and choreographers, that's interesting. Bartenders were 38%, I think that's interesting. Massage therapists were 38%, that was interesting. 
gaming cage workers, 35%. Those are people who work in gambling places. And then another job here, extruding and forming machine setters, operators, and tenders, synthetic and glass fibers. <laughs> so some kind of machine setter, 33%. The, the five lowest divorce separation rates were 1% was, uh, was found in media and communication equipment workers. So media and communication equipment workers were at 1% divorce and separation rate. And that it's like what what how how can there be dancers and choreographers at 43% and then communication equipment workers at 1%. So just you know it's one study but it's take it with a grain of salt. Agricultural engineers 2%, optometrists 4%, transit and railroad police Transit and railroad police, very specific, 5%, and clergy at 6%. All right, well, what, what about therapists? Well, they're at 24%, which is higher than the average 17%. So in other words, therapists seem to have a higher than average rate of divorce and separation, which you know some might conclude that therapists aren't as good at relationships as non-therapists, but divorce rates are not an indication of whether or not a therapist would be a good partner. It's much more likely that separation and divorce rates are much more a function of other factors like culture and religion and where you live and your age and your income and all those kinds of things, and not necessarily related to your job. My guess is, is that this study is not fine, you know, optometrists at 4%. So does this mean that being an optometrist or being trained as an optometrist means that you somehow magically learn how to stay in a relationship. Uh, my guess is, is uh, that is not the case, right? Uh, you know, being a massage therapist, does, does that being trained as a massage therapist, does that mean you're much more prone to being a bad partner? Uh, I would say that's ridiculous. You know, for for example, clergy, they're very low divorce separation rate at 6%. Well, I'm guessing that that low rate is due to culture and the pressure of the job. If, if you're a minister and you're married, you have a lot of eyes on you and your job depends on that image, right? And because you could be fired if you get divorced, of course, not all the time, but and you're trying to lead by example. So now I'm not saying that there's a bunch of clergy walking around in terrible marriages and just staying in it because they feel like they have to. But what I'm saying is, is that uh, there have been a number of studies trying to find correlations between whether or not therapists are good partners or bad partners and whatnot. And it's just, it's just really hard to, to gauge. Plus being separated or, or divorced actually could be an indication of health the the uh, the ability to leave a relationship when it needs to be left is is potentially a very healthy thing right so it it's it's just hard to gauge uh should should we try to figure out the length of relationships as a marker of health or should we look at satisfaction of relationships or should we ask partners of people if they're good communicators this sort of thing uh, an article i found uh there's a number of articles online talking about how therapists are actually really great as partners. So to answer patron Jessamy's question here, it, it, uh, if you look online, most of the authors online seem to be saying that therapists are 
excellent partners. They're like these perfect partners. For instance, the, there's one article I found. They said that therapists are great listeners, you know, and yeah, uh, I guess maybe, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I would say that some therapists are great listeners, but I would say some therapists are terrible listeners. Uh, they also, a lot of articles online were saying that therapists keep good secrets. So if you're looking for someone who you can trust with a secret, then you, you can, you found the right person, a therapist, but is that a plus or a minus? Because keeping secrets can actually be a bad thing in a relationship. So, uh, so there's that articles were saying that, well, therapists can offer good advice. And to that, I say, maybe <laughs> again, it, it really depends on the therapist. And it also depends on whether or not the therapist is relationally traumatized. I, th I would say that that's probably a bigger factor in terms of trying to predict whether or not someone is going to be a good partner or not is the amount of relational traumas that they've been through, not to denigrate people who have been through a lot of relational traumas. But, but if you take some, you know, a, anyone in any sort of job, a plumber or a bus driver or a McDonald's worker or president of the United States and you just look at their childhoods and what their childhoods were like. My guess is, is that it's a much better predictor as to whether or not they're someone you should be dating or not, regardless of whether or not they're a therapist. Anyway, um, another article, uh, articles I found, they, they were like, well, therapists are compassionate. Again, as with good listening, some therapists are really compassionate, but I know therapists that are not compassionate. In fact, one of the biggest things that I am that I do as a supervisor and as an educator in therapy is telling my trainees to exhibit more compassion. You would think that therapists would naturally do this, but they don't. In my experience, I have to hound my supervisees to exhibit more compassion towards their clients. A, a lot of therapists approach the job as a technical endeavor and and that's fine if that's the kind of therapist you want to be, but I often am telling supervisees to uh, to consider adopting a more compassionate approach because uh, it's so much it's it so many good things can come out of compassion in any endeavor, let alone therapy. So are therapists compassionate? I would say in my experience, not automatically. Are they good at communicating compassion? Again, not automatically. Uh, articles will say that therapists are good communicators. Again, uh, sometimes. Therapists have, have seen and heard it all. I would say maybe. <laughs> it depends on the client group you've been through. Uh, my guess is they've probably seen more things than the average person. But anyway. Also, articles will say that therapists might seem like they're intimidating, but they aren't holier than thou. Rather, therapists are aware of their own weaknesses, so they're probably less intimidating than the average person. I would say, yeah, maybe. I, when, when I think about the therapists that I know, most of them are pretty comfortable with talking about their own mental issues, much, much more comfortable than the average person. Because it's part of our job to talk about it all the time, and it's so normalized. To, and we're always normalizing these sorts of things to people that, you know, like for a therapist to say something like, 
I have a fear of heights or I, I uh, am triggered when people talk about politics and it, and it, it, it makes it, it, I have trauma around politics. And when people talk about politics, I, I tend to overreact sometimes. Whereas the average person has a hard time, given the way our culture approaches vulnerabilities like this, it's it, the average person has a hard time with admitting that. So, yeah, I, I might give them that. Therapists are probably a little better at admitting their shortcomings and therefore not uh, intimidating. You know, they're not, they're, they're probably better at setting people's minds at ease in terms of, you know, talking about their vulnerabilities. Uh, articles will say that therapists are interesting because of their jobs. And I would say, not in my experience, uh, there again, therapists have the same bell curve of, of quote unquote, being interesting as anyone else, I would say. Uh, charisma is not a prerequisite to be a therapist, let's put it that way, or personality even, right? Also, articles will say that therapists are available to those who need them. And I would say for a cost, I mean, yeah, if you pay a therapist, they'll be there for you. But outside of being paid, are therapists super dependable? I would say no. Uh, I mean, they're, they're not any more likely to be dependable than anyone else in my experience. And also it says here in, in this one article that therapists are emotionally strong and therefore are good partners because they're emotionally strong. I don't even know what emotionally strong means exactly. So uh, I'm not even going to comment on that one. So some of these, again, anecdotally, I don't have data on it. And it's hard to measure these things. I mean, how do you measure the the, the quantity of compassion that someone has? Uh, I would say that in, in general, some therapists are probably a little better than others, but being a therapist is not a good predictor of these things. Let's just put it that way. Patron Jessamy also asks, what are some of the silly things that therapists may tend to do in romantic relationships? Well, this is just anecdotal, but they're, they're probably more prone to getting involved with people who need help. I, I've definitely seen this. Thera therapists have, you know, it's, it's like you, you have this sort of personality where you want to help people. And, when you're not a therapist, before you're a therapist, you still have that urge to help people. And sometimes that urge to help people will affect your choice in partners in that you choose partners who need help, who have issues. And it tends to be a one-way relationship. Now, therapists who are actual working therapists, if they're dating, they, in my experience, again, totally anecdotally, they don't tend to seek out that sort of thing because they're already helping people. So they don't need it in their personal life. But if a, th if a, if it's a therapist to be, or the a sort of person who will eventually become a therapist and they don't have clients yet, then, then they need, they have that urge to help. And sometimes they'll get involved with people who, who need a lot of help. Uh, therapists are also another silly thing they do in romantic relationships is they tend to use jargon to justify their reactivity. As I was talking about earlier, they, they might also, again, this is just over, uh, this is just anecdotal, but I've seen therapists who overvalue direct communication. Therapists were trained to be very direct communicators. We're trained to say, I am afraid because you did this. We're trained to tell people what's on our mind. We're trained to not stuff things and to not to not undervalue emotional talk. Well, 
that's just one way of being. There, there are other ways to be in life, one of which is to not do any of those things and to be totally happy. But therapists tend to be biased for their, for their own way of, that they like to be, which is, in general, to be more communicative. And I've seen some therapists force their spouses into being like them in a dysfunctional way. So that's another kind of silly thing that therapists might do. Therapists might also uh, make their partners adjust to their relationship style. So be, you know, because the therapist is a quote unquote expert and, and more arrogant and more narcissistic about their beliefs about what a good relationship is, they might force their partner to adjust to them rather than being more flexible. Again, totally anecdotal, and I'm, I can only think of a few people in my life that I've observed doing that. But, but, um, but those are just some things. Again, it's being a therapist might give you a little narcissism that is little unhealthy when it comes to your own perspectives. And uh, so, so in conclusion, again, therapists are just as human as anyone else. Relational traumas affect all of us. All of us have, to differing degrees, relational traumas. And therapists who have been relationally traumatized to a severe degree are, are, or even a moderate de- degree are just as likely to have dysfunctional lives as anyone else is. But, but I would say, in, in general, therapists are more open to trying to make things better. That it's, that's perhaps the, the biggest takeaway that I can think of as I think about this is that therapists all day long are talking with people about making things better. And I would say that every therapist I know, um, I can't say that. I would say 80% of the therapists that I know are definitely interested in trying to make things better for everybody. They, they want things to improve and they have hope that things can, can be better and they have a way to make things better, which is self-reflection, therapy, individual therapy, couples therapy. And so that one factor that, that that they have hope and they don't have stigma around self-reflection, they don't have stigma around seeking therapy as much as other people do, that that one factor probably makes therapists a little bit better on average compared to non-therapists. But again, we're talking about a bell curve here. So you have a distribution of extremely functional therapists who are great in relationships and extremely dysfunctional relation, uh, therapists who you do not want to involve yourself with in a relationship. But the, the average bell curve point is probably a little bit towards the more functional side, uh, maybe. But then again, you might also say that because relational traumas in life might lead you to a to go to therapy, which is actually a major factor in a lot of people's decision to become a therapist. In other words, for people who have been through difficulties, they often go to therapy. And then when they go to therapy, they're like, huh, maybe I should, maybe I should do this job. So, so by that definition, maybe therapists are on average a little more prone to having difficult childhoods. And so that'll pull the average back. Uh, again, there have been some studies on it, but nothing that really answers Je- patron Jessamy's question. And overall, it's uh, it's a lot of different factors to, to think about. And um, th- so in conclusion, conclusion, I will say that when therapists go home, 
they are just as human as any other human. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.